welcome back to Jake's World, episode 18 of Jake's World. Today is Monday, June 15th, and we've got a lot of sports to talk about, with a bit of a twist on some of it. going to be a sports-heavy show today, and hopefully you're down for that, because um, you're going to have to be, because that's a lot of what has been happening, or a lot of what I've been seeing, you know, you know, over the last few days. It's nice to see golf back. I mean, got to see a lot of tee shots, a lot of big putts. Brooke Kepka, Brooke Kepka's mustache. Pardon my take, called him Blake Kepka. Very funny. <laughs> Played some golf myself. Been playing a little better the last few days. I'm normally extremely bad. Much better off the tee the last couple of days. Still can't hit an iron. Hitting nukes with my fairway wood. Read the greens a little better tonight. Played nine holes of the course up by me. Love it. Play it like once or twice a week during the week. Then I played it with the boys in the weekend. We travel around. Have some fun doing that. I like golf. It's challenging. It's a way for me to still be competitive. You know, now that I'm not playing baseball anymore. And right now, I really don't have a desire to play baseball. So, golf is a way that I can still be competitive and still push myself to be successful at something, if that kind of makes sense. It doesn't really matter if I'm good or not. But it's fun. And what other game can you play throwing hammers and slug beers right so got to do that it's fun it's relaxing helps me clear my head too and if you can hit a golf ball at all and if you're not strapped for cash all the time definitely go play even if it's by yourself even if it's walking it helps me clear my head just because i'm not thinking about everything else you know, I've tried to think when I play, too. Be conscious of what I'm doing. It's almost like therapy, too. So That's that. So, like I said, big sports show this weekend. Or, I don't know what that was about. Got a little sidetracked there. Kind of mixed my golf statement and what I was going to say. Never mind, you're an idiot, Jake. Okay. Lots of sports to talk about. Of course, last night was the long gone summer. 30 for 30 documentary on ESPN. It's really, really good. I mean, it was kind of slow in the sense that it kind of only covered one season. And it was only two hours. Like, I mean, you could have really got in depth with that. I mean, if they showed a little bit more of the ins and outs of both sides of the story, even the Ken Griffey Jr. side too. But I'll get into that towards the end of the show. It's going to be the last segment I talk about today. The first one, though, is what is going on with the MLB and now the NBA? A couple of weeks ago, of course, I talked about it on this show. It wasn't finalized. I kind of made it sound like it was finalized. But, I mean, it was looking pretty good that um, Adam Silver and the Players Association was going to get a deal signed for, you know, a a playoff format with an eight-game 
not play in, but kind of a play in. Like the last eight games of the regular season were going to be played in Orlando or in some other central location. Florida was probably the best choice. I think that's what they decided on. And now, you know, with the NBA leaning towards saying yes, a lot of other players are saying no based on everything else that's going on in today's you know, social climate, political climate. And it's a good platform for them to take that stand because it finally seems like people are really in tune with what's going on to the point where it's almost too much so, I'd say, because you can't escape it. I mean, and again, should you? I mean, that brings up a fair point. It's like if the issues are the issues at hand so in your face that like you have to do something about it perhaps it's not healthy to you know be submerged in such negativity all the time but the flip side too it's like some people have to live with that hanging over their head all the time and I commend the athletes for you know taking that firm stance Kyrie Irving has been very outspoken about this um I think Avery Bradley was another player who is you know, in support of, you know, potentially not playing just to kind of protest in a way, right? And I saw something, I'm not sure if it was an Instagram post or like, or a video or a tweet. I don't remember quite where I saw it, but I was reading it on my lunch break today at work and it kind of made me think about it a little bit. I'm not trying to criticize the superstars for taking a a position or a stance where they're like hey we don't want to play we want to send a message we want to show that there's a problem and with the NBA audience being younger and very widespread and growing still it's an excellent platform to do that especially when it seems like all the superstars are you know thinking along the same lines that's good I'm supporting that the biggest criticism that these, that these athletes get is oh, the shut up and dribble. Like, no, no, no. I mean, you have a platform. I don't think you should feel, I don't think they should feel obligated to say anything. It's their choice. I mean, a lot of people don't say anything because A, they don't care, which isn't right, or they don't know, which is smarter because it's like if you don't, know knowledge is power right if you don't know enough about a subject to give an intelligent take on it an intelligent stance on it why are you saying anything you're not contributing you're either taking up space from a good thought or making the situation worse i don't think that's out of line to say everything going on and you know there's been a movement with, you know, silence is not enough, which it's not. It shouldn't be enough to, you know, just not do anything. But there's a flip side of that, too. Is the silence, you know, out of laziness or is it out of, you know, saving ignorance? That's something you should think about. But I, this post I saw today was like some guy saying how boycotting is not good, right? Now think about it. Think about all the revenue that the NBA brings in every year. 
It's billions of dollars. It's one of the, it's the, probably the second largest sports market behind the NFL, profit-wise. Think of the impact that those NBA teams have on their communities. Thousands of people go to these games. I mean, of course, this is a little different of a scenario with COVID going on and coming back up. Don't blame Memorial Day weekend. Don't blame protesting. It's a hor- it's a trade. Like, do you think you could let an instance like that go? You know, let that go unnoticed because of something going on in our community, like a disease. I feel like some things are worth risking, and yeah. Protesting caused the spike in cases. That's a fact. It just is. Like, there's no way around that. It wasn't people Memorial Day weekend. That's a spin zone that's just not true. So don't even try it. It's true. People in close contact cause an increase in cases. It's growing again. But that might, it might be worth it to some people. And I respect that. But to the point. These stadiums, in a normal circ- in normal circumstances, they, you know, bring in millions of dollars a game in ticket revenue. They bring in probably tens or hundreds of thousands in selling merchandise and food and drinks at, at these games. And the stadiums or the teams employ hundreds of people. Those people spend their money in the communities, right? Money goes all over the place from these huge sporting events. Especially when it's at full bore. Especially in the playoffs. Especially like football. Football, the seating capacity is twice as high as, you know, NFL and NBA, excuse me, NBA and NHL games. MLB has higher seating capacities. It's not as big as the NFL, but it's definitely number two. Soccer is another one. They play in football stadiums a lot of time. They seat tons of people. The money that is being generated benefits the community and that's something you need to consider like hey you're taking a stance here which is good and the guy wasn't you know polarizing really i, I mean i kind of just read it for what i saw he wasn't like attacking anyone or you know shooting down anyone's opinion but he was like you should think about this too it's another way of looking at our circumstance and trying to make it better for everyone else money being spent in businesses in the community from this source of income is going to help the community and you're cut you're losing so many opportunities to help the community when you boycott things like that that have such a widespread effect so i'm curious to see what happens i mean either way it is what it is the players are going to do what they think is the right thing to do Honestly, I think LeBron James has a lot of pull in it because he does have such a strong voice, and he's earned that right too because he's a guy, I mean, I hate his antics on the court, but he is probably the best instance of a professional athlete giving back to his community that we've ever seen. I mean, he sends underprivileged kids to school full ride to his the academy he built. He spends all to- tons of time in the community doing things. He gives back, and that's what everybody should strive to do. You don't have to be a professional athlete. You don't have to have a platform or a voice. 
You give back because it's the right thing to do. It shows you're grateful for the things you had and the opportunities you were blessed with or given or received along the way. And you have an appreciation for that. And you understand how hard it can be if there are people in your community that don't have those same opportunities. And you know how hard it is to rise above that. So I love seeing players give back. It's just something to think about. It's another way of looking at it. That's the NBA. The MLB, totally different story. It's about money again. The owners don't want to pay their players for a full season. And, like, I don't know why. I'm not going to get too deep into this one because it's been a back and forth thing. Rob Manfred's, like, the worst commissioner of the major four, or four major sports. It's a bonehead. Makes a statement last week. Oh, it looks really good that we're going to play, you know, toward the end of the summer or midsummer, like after the All Star break. That was early last week, later last week. I'm pretty sure we'll be okay. We'll just name a time and a place as the Players Association will get it figured out. Then today it looks even more bleak. He's like, I'm not confident the season's going to happen at all. Dude. I don't want to get into the baseball talk because that's what most of this show is going to be. But, like, come on. You play 162 games in a regular season. Baseball is like a steeple of the summer. The dog days of summer. Baseball is the only fucking thing on. Think about, like, gambling on baseball. It's hard. And it's probably a little boring, too, but... Degenerate gamblers will bet on anything. Like, I got a buddy who's betting on, like, beer pong games on TV or something. (laughs) There's so much money to be made. Like, take a loss the one season. The players are your revenue source. That's why these lockouts happen all the time. Because the owners, like, get a little too greedy. Like, figure it out. The one guy who can solve this problem... And make the Players Association, the union, and the owners make an agreement is you. That is your job. That is what you get paid for. Not to, you know, make rules about the game, change the game, and, you know, enforce PED laws, and make sure Pete Rose stays out of the Hall of Fame. That's not your job. Your job is to solve grievances like this and be an ambassador to the game and help the game grow. And you not playing a season at all because of not a lockout, but essentially a lockout style amid a pandemic is your fault. That's your job to solve. And he needs to step up and do that. So... I mean, it's kind of a shame, too. I mean, see what the NFL does, too. Who knows? NFL players aren't very happy. It's nice to see Roger Goodell speak out about, you know, some of the social issues going on, even though that's all fake. I mean, Goodell doesn't give a shit. That's just good PR, good PR, and everyone sees through that, too. But it is what it is, so... Well, I guess we'll just see what happens this week because you're running out of time. There's a point where it doesn't become feasible to even lace up your cleats and play baseball. So hopefully that's not the case, but we will see. Next, 
Zeke may or may not understand HIPAA. Now, if you are not aware, HIPAA, I don't know what the acronym is. I should know what the acronym is. I worked in the insurance industry for a very, very, very long six months. It is. It protects your privacy when it comes to health information, right? HIPAA protects you from, you know, going to a doctor in confidence. And you have a disease. If it gets out and it potentially brings you harm or embarrassment or anything like that, whoever disclosed that information would get in very, very big trouble. And this is essentially what happened to Zeke. Zeke, Ezekiel Ezekiel Elliott, running back for Dallas Cowboys, you know, cook stir soup, whatever, you know, eat them up, whatever. Everyone knows who Zeke is. Plays for the Dallas Cowboys. Tested positive for coronavirus over the weekend or a couple days ago, whenever. It broke, the news broke this morning or this early this afternoon. And, excuse me, he tweeted, he kind of went on a Twitter rant about HIPAA. You know, my rights, my privacy rights were violated. And that you got to understand the whole situation. If you go to the doctor and it gets out, it's not necessarily the doctor's fault, right? If you told anyone other than the doctor and it gets out, like the HIPAA doesn't protect you from telling your agent that I have coronavirus and it leaks and the agent did it. That doesn't protect you. It protects you from healthcare providers leaking information out that way. Like if you're a nurse or a doctor and you tell your friends, hey, I um, was at work today and Zeke came in and I administered a COVID test for him and he tested positive and then that friend tells another friend and that friend tells another friend and all of a sudden Zeke is on his way home and he gets a check he's checking twitter because he probably has a driver that would be so cool if i had that much money to have a driver he probably doesn't but anyways if he's checking twitter when he gets home breaking ezekiel elliott tests positive for coronavirus and he's like i didn't even like tell anyone what happened that you are in big big trouble i was reading the penalties for a hipaa violation you can get up to a fine of $250,000. And if you did it maliciously with the intent to harm reputation or physically, not sure how you'd harm someone physically with information, but say they lost their job or like Zeke is going through a ton of media embarrassment, you could get in big, big trouble. You could go to jail for, or prison for 10 years on top of the fine. Now, Zeke's claims that he told his agent, but when reporters called his agent, the agent only confirmed the story. Now, I'm not sure of the verbiage there. I mean, this is the story's pretty new. It's developing. The agent knew, but he didn't tell anyone either. And I feel like 
you have no reason to. I mean, Zeke's paying you a lot of money. His con- he gets a little percentage of his contract, which is a big deal, right? You'd think you would take that seriously and not spill the beans because then, I mean, yeah, you could afford the fine, but that's not the point. You lose a big client. The reporter said, yeah, the story was already written. We're just, you know, tying up our loose ends, making sure that this we're not going to print a, a TMZ story, right? We want to make sure this is factual, and the agent confirmed it. It was already... I don't know. I'll see what happens. I mean, a lot of times players get angry. I feel like it's a cowboy thing too. Like they're always the outlandish or the, I mean, I guess outlandish would work. That, the rambunctious, loud, you know, need all the drama type players because that's how their organizations ran. And I guess we'll see. Is he overreacting? Maybe, maybe not. I mean, it's a big deal, but you didn't see it when, you know, Donovan Mitchell and Rudy Gobert tested positive either, but maybe they leaked that just because it was so unknown. Maybe it was just for, I'm not sure. I guess we'll see in the coming days what comes of this story. But in any case, Zeke, read up on HIPAA and make sure you know what you're talking about before you start tweeting about it, please. Thank you. Finally, the last segment. And conclude with reviewing, going in depth about long gone summer. I'm not going to talk about the documentary as much because it's kind of the same thing over and over and over again. I'll give you a preface of it, you know, take you on a high level summary of story, but I want to talk about the impact of it much more because I talked about it a little bit. On the Lance Armstrong episode I did a couple weeks ago. Le Tour de France. Uh-huh. Cycling had a steroid problem. Or a doping problem. It's a different type of performance enhancing drug of course. But baseball has been the sport that suffered from it the most. And I've got a popular take on the whole situation. I feel a lot of people feel this way. It's not baseball purist way, but I'll explain that. I'm going to talk about that probably a little more than the documentary itself. Now, Mark McGuire was a stud. He juiced, of course. I think Jose Canseco got him into that. Jose Canseco was the perfect meathead baseball player. He hit home runs. That was about it. I'm not going to check any of his statistics. I'm sure the guy hit about 260 for his career. He's a meathead. He got in trouble for... He's got a twin brother, or a at least a very similar looking brother, Ozzy, also a meathead. They got into some hot water while out of the country doing some boxing match and like... Or something, or some wrestling match, and Jose guys asked me. It was weird. The scandal has followed him everywhere. Royd Rage has followed him everywhere, and he's been in and out of trouble a lot. He wrote a, a book about steroids in baseball, too. It was really, really controversial because he threw a ton of people under the bus. I'm getting a little bit ahead of myself. So, Mark McGuire was traded from Oakland to St. Louis 
in the middle of 1997. And he wasn't really sure how to feel about it. He had some success in Oakland, you know, in the beginning, and he kind of went into a slump. You know, he had some down years, hurt. And he kind of revitalized his career in St. Louis by the way he approached the game mentally and doing everything he could to win. And ML, the MLB was really plagued with the lockout thing, kind of similar to what's going on now, but it was strictly not due to, you know, a pandemic or anything. It was just wages or salaries and negotiating things like cap and all, all that kind of stuff. Baseball had a problem with that throughout the 1990s. They had two lockout seasons. I think 1994, they didn't play the World Series. It was the first time in like 75 or 100 years that they didn't play it at all. And 97 was cut short too, or another year in there. They've had problems with lockouts, and baseball was really losing popularity. And it was so cool watching this just because I'm a huge baseball fan. It's like when it comes to it being, you know, a game, it's the love of my life. It's my favorite sport. I've played it since I was three years old. And the stars aligned in so many ways. It was magical what happened in that season because it was so exciting. Mark McGuire, Sammy Sosa. And for, you know, the first three months of the season, Ken Griffey Jr. saved baseball. They made baseball popular again. They made it fun, exciting. I mean, it's kind of tainted, yes, but it's part of history. You can't forget your history. And that era saved baseball. It really did. So... I'll get Ken Griffey Jr. out of the way just because he started out really hot and then he cooled off big time in August. I think the doc said he hit like two home runs in the entire month of August. Sammy Sosa hit 20 in June. An MLB record still. It's insane. If anyone thought anyone could beat Roger Maris's 61 home run record, it would be Ken Griffey Jr. Ken Griffey Jr. had a once-in-a-generation swing. He was the best player of his generation. Bar none. Barry Bonds was the best hitter. But Ken Griffey Jr. is like Mike Trout with a better swing. Not necessarily better results. I mean, I think... I, I won't even say each one is better than one another. They're different players. Ken Griffey Jr. is just a different... He's a left-handed hitter. Thin, wiry. Beautiful swing. Probably the prettiest swing in history. Just, just, ooh, so smooth. I really wish he had a little bit more of an impact or a stake in that race because watching his highlights are... Oh, his swing is just impeccable. He's a five-tool player, too. So it would make sense that, you know, these guys... Would, or he would be toe-toe with these guys. And he was for a long time. Just cooled off at the wrong time. And baseball's a game of streaks. It really is. It's a slump. It's hot streaks and slumps. It's really what it is. It's kind of like life. I've said it before. Baseball and golf are the two most symbolic sport, or sports symbolic of life. 
If you fail three times out of ten in baseball, you're a Hall of Famer. You fail three, or if you fail seven out of ten times, excuse me. If you succeed three times out of ten in baseball, you're a Hall of Famer. If you do the same thing in life, you probably had a good life too. Golf's the same way. Golf keeps you in the present. What's the most important shot in golf? The next shot. Did you make the next one easier? Did you make the next one harder? Did you miss in a good spot? That's another good quote. Or I'm probably going to butcher it, but golf isn't a game that consists of great shots. It's a game that consists of great misses. Or good misses, right? Don't don't hit it there. Give yourself an option. Give yourself room to work with. You don't have to cup a 150-yard shot with your 9-iron. Just don't hit it in the fucking bunker. You'll be okay. Right? Got a little sidetrack there. But Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa got off to a sweltering hot start in April. I'm not sure of the numbers month by month, of course. If you know, for each month, right? But it was just so perfect. Everything happened, right? You have Mark McGuire, Big Mac, Mac Daddy. He's huge, 6'5", 215 out of college. Sammy Sosa, um, Dominican Republic star, kind of grew up on the streets, loved baseball, such a great personality. And it's so, I love Sammy Sosa growing up too, and it's a shame that he kind of became a disgraced player just because of the cork bat thing, steroid controversy, all the problems in his personal life. He loved the game. If you can attack anything with that energy and optimism, you're going to be just fine. And he loved it. He loved the media attention. Mark was the opposite. He struggled with that mentally. And it took all of his might to battle that. And it took a lot of Sammy's help too because Sammy got him through that. 37 home runs for Brinkwire. And 33 home runs for Sosa at the end of June. Sammy hit 20 in June. Like I said earlier, still an MOB record. And it was just crazy to me to just see, like I said again, I'll probably say it three more times, too, it was so perfect. You're coming off of a lockout season again, or... You know, you're losing popularity because of all these all these problems that they're having with the union and the front office. Mark McGuire's the perfect guy to do this. He hits moonshot home runs. And baseball's a game that really idolizes records. All sports kind of do, but they, one of the guys that they talk to on the show... Asked you, oh, who leads the NFL for, you know, anything. Receiving receptions in a season. Most people don't know that. If you're an avid football fan, you do. But most people won't. But they'll know a baseball record. Who hits, who's had the most home runs in a single season. At the time, it was Roger Maris. Now it's Barry Bonds. But it's important. It got people excited because that was a record that stood untouched for 
50 years almost. Probably a little less than that. I think Roger Maris did it in like 1950s, 1960s. So 30, 40, 50 years of a seemingly untouchable record. And two, three guys out of the gate. Just whammy, whammy. Yabo, yabo. Back, 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 back. It's like a home run derby for these guys. And, you know, Sammy Sosa, Mark McGuire being NL Central rivals on two teams with fans who are very passionate about the game. They don't like each other. And it was just, everyone was so tuned into that. And when they played each other, too, it's just home run after home run after home run after home run. Harry Carey died before the season started, and Sammy Sosa starts off the season with a bang. It's like everything, it's just the stars aligned. It was just so right for baseball, and it had such a good high at one of its lowest lows. That was the low point of baseball. It really was, and they touched on that a lot. Bob Costas did a really good job of summing it up because he's been such a voice for baseball you know, over the last 50 years. Damn it. He's one of the best sports journalists ever. And like I said, it was just, it couldn't have been better timing. And another crazy stat for me was 12 times Sosa and McGuire were tied going into a day, but Sosa never finished a day with the lead. It's crazy. McGuire finished with 70. Sosa, or yes. No, 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 I'm sorry. 68. 70 came later. Right? God, Jake, you're a dummy and you say you love baseball so, so much and don't even remember the statistic from something you watched yesterday. But you can remember a golf shot you took three months ago. Anyways, 70. Mark McGuire hit 70. Sosa hit 66. He hit his 61st to tie Roger Maris' record on his father's 61st birthday. Mark McGuire did. It was just so perfect. And then it was really funny to see all the announcers saying like, oh, this is unparalleled, which of course it was. And we're never going to see anything like this again, probably. And it's just insane because three years later, Mark McGuire's home run record was broken by none other than Barry Bonds, the biggest juicer of all time. But it was cool. It was cool to see all those little ins and outs. I wish they could have gone a little more in depth, especially on Sammy Sosa's side. Mark McGuire kind of had the show because he was the one who ended up winning that race. But I liked it. It was insightful. It showed you little things that you didn't know, especially because I was you know, a year and a half, two years old while this was progressing. And, yeah, it was, just, it was cool because <laughs> those guys hit nukes. Man, oh, man. Mark McGuire's swing was good, too. I mean, Griffiths was smooth, smooth, like smooth as butter. But McGuire had an efficient swing, short, compact, powerful. It was, it was perfect. That's the only way I can say it. it was perfect. But the sad thing is, 
It was tainted, right? Those guys juiced, you know. Sammy Sosa would, you know, hit a he hit the end of a ball and it would go 375 feet to right field. He'd do his little leap out of the box, slamming Sammy, hits one again. And he would round the bases and it's like if anyone else would have hit that, it would have been a like a pop out to the right fielder. And I mean these guys' names started coming up in reports. You know, Mitchell Report, Balco thing, Cork Bats, Whistleblowers, Congress. Mark McGuire finally admitted to taking PEDs. A lot of others have, a lot of others haven't. I mean, it's legal. Or it's illegal, excuse me. It wasn't illegal at the time. Or it was very loosely restricted. Everybody looks for an advantage no matter what they do. That's how you get ahead. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. You ever hear that? I mean, you shouldn't do that, of course. I mean, especially when it's harmful to you. But at the time, supplementation or outright HGH or whatever you're using, abuse, was rampant because guys wanted the paycheck. And I see the motivation there. You're not just competing in a kid's game. You're competing at life. Life's a fucking game. Life is the game. The ultimate game. You want to make money. That's why you're doing it. And if you taking a substance that's going to help you make or help you play better, it's going to make you money. A lot of guys are going to do that. Most guys do it safely. Some guys don't. Jose Canseco. I mean, guy's such a meathead. He was trying to catch a fly ball. Winked him in the top of the head and went over the fence for a home run with a bonehead. But it was sad to see, like, especially me, guys, guys, people my age are in a really tough spot. I mean, like 1992 to 1998, really. We idolized these baseball players who all went named through the muck because they took steroids. Some guys who didn't take steroids got their name dragged through the mud. Ken Griffey Jr. might have been named on those reports, but I don't believe he was ever convicted or ever. I don't think he was ever actually. I don't think he ever took him. That's a shame to see. Especially when, you know, the MLB is not condoning it, but they're not taking a firm stance on it either. Bud Selig was very slow to take a firm stance on that. Now, I'm going to wrap it up like this. Taking anabolic steroids, human growth hormone, testosterone, synthetic testosterone, any kind of supplement you can think of, creatine, creatine was the first big one, um, Any, even blood doping for other sports, anything you could think of will help you physically be better at the game of baseball. When it comes to a batter, you're going to hit the ball harder. You're going to hit the ball farther. That's what we stop and think about right away. He's stronger. He can hit a ball farther. A pitcher can throw a ball harder. But there's other effects too. While you're on the steroids, you're less likely to injure yourself and you're going to recover faster. 
baseball see the baseball season is the hardest season in professional sports i don't care what you say it's basketball is not as hard as baseball over the course of march or february when pitchers and catchers report to october when you're crowned a world series or early november when the world series champion is crowned i don't i don't care if they play 82 games and run up and down the court Baseball is pretty sedentary, but you have to get up and you do things. People don't realize they don't just, you know, roll out of bed an hour before the game like you do for summer ball, go play, have a few beers, and go home and go to work the next day. They're there at the park hours before getting work in. They play baseball for 8 to 10 hours a day. They work out in season. They take batting practice and fly ball and run bases and throw bullpens, and it's every day, every day. It's 162 games in 185 days. The regular season. And then you add playoffs in there too. World Series champ. If you go 7 in every series. It's 5-7-7. Seven, seven, you could play like 180. 185 games. That's absurd. It's a long stretch. And steroids are going to help you. Be able to do that. But. Baseball purists forget one thing. Well, there are a lot of things hard in sports. Football. It's like going through a car accident. I grew up in northern Wisconsin. Donald Driver always did these commercials for click it or ticket. Click it or get a ticket. I go through car accidents or car high impact crashes every game. But I'm not going to do one in a car. Buckle up, right? Basketball. I mean, look at Derrick Rose. Look at the torque he put on his knees. He was one of the most gifted basketball players I've ever seen who was cursed with glass knees. I could I see people pole vault. I couldn't do that. I'd snap the pole in half eight feet up and break my neck because I wouldn't land on the the fucking pad. People run marathons. They're psychopaths. There are so many different sports. And so many difficult things in those sports that many people can't do. But probably the hardest thing to do is be gooding is, is to be good at hitting a baseball. You're hitting a round ball with a round bat. The ball's coming in for anywhere from your slow curve balls at the MLB level probably going to be low 70s up to mid 80s. Your fastballs are going to be from low 80s to low to mid 100s. It's like two tenths of a second you need to decide whether you want to swing. I'm going to roll this Chapman fastball. It's probably even less. You can't teach that. You can't teach hand-eye coordination. Some guys throw sliders that break a foot and a half, two feet. You can't teach pitch recognition. It's a gift. The hand-eye coordination is a gift. The timing is a gift. You can teach the things that help you facilitate that timing. Practice it. Coach it. But it's not like basketball. If you're a bad free throw shooter, you could just practice and practice and practice. Anyone can shoot a free throw. Not everyone can hit a baseball. It's probably the hardest thing to do in a sport. Barry Bonds is probably... The second, uh, to me, Barry Bonds 
is the third best hitter of all time behind Ted Williams and Pete Rose. Ted Williams hit 400 after, I believe it was after, after he served in World War II. Pete Rose, 4,000 hits. Barry Bonds, one season, I think it was his 2000, one of the seasons that he was absurd and it wasn't his home run season. It was like 2004 or 2005. Every walk he had, he let, he got walked 200-something times that season, like 220 times. If you replaced every walk with a strikeout, he would still have had the highest on-base percentage in the league. Or something stupid like that. You can't teach those things at a major league level. And, like, little league and high school, yeah, you can teach that. The kid throws 65. You can, like, do a spinny-roo and hit the ball 900 feet if, if you practice it enough. You can't teach it at that level. And that's why I think baseball purists need to really think about less about the numbers that these guys did. Because, yes, the numbers are going to be inflated. If you look at the home run race of 1998, Sammy Sosa and Mark McGuire had 66 and 70 home runs, respectively. Without steroids, that number could have been anywhere from cut in half to 10 more, or like. 10 less. You're not going to know. They're still going to hit home runs, though, because you can't teach hitting a home run. Some of those smaller ones might not have squeaked out, but the ones that went 500 fucking feet, Sammy Sosa hit one that was 538 feet. That's going out anywhere you play. That's almost, That's driving the green on a short par four, a very short par four. Or no, I shouldn't say that. A long par three that's driving the green. It's 180 yards. Fourth hole I hit today was 182 yards. The golf ball. You hit a baseball that far. You, you can you can enhance numbers like that. Gappers turn into doubles. Or I mean, you know, gap singles can turn into doubles with ball velocity. You can stretch a double and a triple easier, especially later in the season. Pop-outs might turn into home runs, but you can't teach it in a baseball. And we need to analyze the impact they had on the game more so than their numbers. Barry Bonds had a huge impact on the game. He showed that walking a player sometimes is more beneficial than pitching to him he was walked in he there was a point in that same season I mentioned earlier that Barry Bonds was intentionally walked with the bases loaded to walk in a run so he couldn't hit a grand slam he also hit in the most left-handed friendly ballpark probably ever but it's an impactful game he changed the way we play the game. His charisma, not so much. And his, you know, impact on fans, probably not as much. Because he was tainted. His career was pretty tainted all along. I mean, he was a 30-30 guy in Pittsburgh. And all of a sudden, he's like 200, like 100 pounds heavier and bald. Hmm. Steroids? Sammy Sosa is a 30-for-30 guy, too. Or I shouldn't say 30-for-30. 30-30 guy. Confuse it with the ESPN name. Just thinking too fast. 30 steals, 30 home runs in a a season. Same season. The only guy who does that now is Mike Trout. 
Two players have done that in Chicago Cubs history. Sammy Sosa, Alfonso Soriano. I think. I mean, he might not have done it in Chicago, but he definitely did it in the Yankees, Alfonso Soriano. These guys would have been damn good baseball players. Barry Bonds would have been a Hall of Fame player had he not juiced. It changed the way they play the game. It didn't change them as players as much to me, if that makes sense. They still would have been fantastic baseball players. It just wouldn't have been, you know, earth-shattering home runs or RBI. It, w- it would have been a little bit different the way they played. Mark McGuire, I feel like, has the weakest case out of that because he was always a power hitter. But he proved he could be a power hitter before the steroids even happened. Plus, you include the impact they had on practically saving baseball. Bob Costas is a baseball purist, and he said those are illegitimate numbers. Your tainted numbers. But he said they save baseball, without a doubt. And that's what I want you to consider. That's what we should consider about everything. You can't just look at a bad thing. It doesn't throw away the whole body of work. Consider that. Thanks for listening to today's show, episode 18, Jake's World. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, at Jake Sawinski 8 J-A-K-E-S-A-W-I-N-S-K-I-8, at Jake Sawinski 8 Had a lot of fun talking about this one. I love, you know, talking about things that interest me because the time flies. Sometimes I'm hitting the pause button and I think about it a little bit and, you know, think of something to say. And I like when it just rolls off the tongue. So, talk to you guys on Friday. And... Of course, you know the rules. Spread the word. Grow the show. I don't want to promote it down everyone's throat, but I will if I have to. So, have a good week. Please.